Let's pray. Now, Lord God, speak to us now through your word, by your spirit. Enable us to hear your voice. Enable us to put into practice what we hear you say to us. Lord, would you change us now? Would you help us put to death the sin that remains in our life? May you equip us with everything we need to live for you for the rest of our days. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Anzac Day is not too far away now. And in just under a month, uh, we're going to remember the contribution of our, of our war veterans, of those who have served our country in battle. And it will be a reminder for us that battle is dangerous. When we look at the numbers of lives that have been lost on the battlefield to protect the freedom that we have in this country, well, we remember that battle at the best of times is dangerous. How much worse would it be if we weren't even ready for the battle? Australia has lost countless soldiers in battles that we were prepared for, battles that we knew were coming, battles that we trained for. How much worse would it be if we didn't even know there was a war? Well, friends, in this passage in Ephesians, Paul warns the Ephesians of the battle that every Christian is in. And yet the danger for many of us is that we don't feel like we're in a battle at all. And it's then that we're in the most danger because it's then that we don't see that we're in a fight. We don't see the need to fight. And so today we're going to consider this passage under two headings. First, the battle that we're all in. And secondly, how we fight. But I'm actually going to spend quite a bit more time on the battle that we're in because I feel for us, that's what we need reminding of. The Christian life is a battle and so we need to be prepared for it. So we're going to begin in verse 10 with the battle that we're all in. Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Well, Christians have long uh, recognised three distinct enemies that the Christian faces in life. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Paul pointed this out back in Ephesians 2, if you remember. He wrote that you were all dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. The ruler of the kingdom of the air, that's the devil, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. He says all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Paul says in Ephesians 2 that we were under all of these enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so when we set out to follow Jesus, we will face opposition. That opposition comes from the world around us as we live in a world that rejects Christ and tries to redefine God's laws. 
we face that opposition from within us, our own flesh, as our own sinful desires will lead us to set our hearts on other things instead of on Jesus. But sitting above both of these things, above the world and above our flesh, there's our third enemy, Satan, the devil, God's enemy, who wages war against God's people. And Satan is determined to snatch you out of God's hand. He wants nothing more than to see you trapped in your sin and to reject God. And so Christians are at war with Satan. And so Paul pleads with us, be prepared for that battle. He says, be strong. He tells us us to put on armour. He wants us to be prepared because we've got a fight on our hands. But the problem that we face, you and me sitting in this room today, is that we don't really believe we're in a battle at all. Now, if you're a Christian living in Ephesus in the first century, you didn't need to be convinced that there was a spiritual battle going on in the world. Ephesians was a city where spiritual warfare was a normal part of everyday life. In Ephesians, you could go to a sorcerer and you could buy spells and incantations to protect you from spiritual attack. So if something bad was happening to you or something bad was happening to your family, you would assume that someone had cursed you. And so you would go to see a sorcerer to buy a counter curse. That was part of everyday life in Ephesus. Spiritual warfare was a real thing. Which is why when you look at Acts chapter 19, when Paul first visited Ephesus, where he went to preach the gospel there, we see God do miraculous things through Paul to show that he is actually more powerful than the spirits that they hold up as being powerful. Acts chapter 19 verse 11 says this, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and their evil spirits left them. Following on from that verse, we have that story of the seven sons of Sceva. If you know it, it's a good one. Uh, These seven Jewish uh, exorcists who try to harness the power of Jesus for their own work, for, for themselves. And they have this evil spirit turn around and say, well, we know Jesus and we know Paul, but who are you? And they ended up, that man with the evil spirit beats them up. Spiritual warfare was a real thing in Ephesus. It was in Ephesus where people witnessed the power of Jesus and so they publicly burned their magic books in a display of repentance as they turned to Jesus, the greater name, the greater authority. If you're a Christian living in Ephesus, you knew you were in a spiritual battle. You had seen the power of evil spirits every day. But we're a long way from Ephesus, aren't we? The idea of a spiritual battle seems a little fairy tale-ish to us, doesn't it? See, we look back at that and sort of laugh. Well, how cute that they think there's evil spirits, that they would pay for spells. 
See, we live in the scientific age, don't we? We don't believe in evil spirits. Or even if we do believe that there is evil spirits, well, we definitely don't feel under attack. We're not at war. We spend our time at the beach and going fishing and playing golf and eating out. They're not the things you do when you're at war. We don't feel like anyone's attacking us. No one's persecuting us. Christians in the West today enjoy more peace than any Christians have enjoyed before. Well, friends, the thing we need to see today is that this is exactly the way Satan likes it. We don't think we're in a spiritual battle, which means now Satan can attack us and we don't even realise we're in a fight. We're cruising along in our faith, thinking everything is fine and dandy. All the while, we're allowing Satan to wreak havoc in Jesus' church. Friends, more than anything today, I want you to know that if you follow Jesus, you are in a battle. You might not feel like you are. You might not see it. But you are. Our struggle, it's not against flesh and blood. We're not fighting humans or governments. We're not at war with Muslims. We're not at war with Hindus. We're not at war with the LGBT movement. We're not at war with the Satanists down the road. Our struggle's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're at war with Satan and his evil forces. And he's a powerful enemy. His reach is huge. His influence is great. In a very real sense, we can say that right now Satan rules this world. He has it in his hands and he's determined to destroy it. But his days are numbered. In fact, if you look back even in this book, in Ephesians, to Paul's prayer for the Ephesians in chapter 1, he prays that the Ephesians would know God's power. And of that power, he says this. This is Ephesians chapter 1. He says, The power is the same as the mighty strength that God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. You see, Jesus has already defeated Satan. Jesus now reigns far above every evil power. He's conquered Satan. But we're still waiting for the full effects of that here on earth. You see, Jesus is victorious, but he's holding off on bringing a complete end to Satan's reign here on earth. And he's doing that to give us time to repent, to turn away from sin and to trust Jesus for salvation. But one day, Jesus will return, and when he does, he will usher in a new age, in the new creation, where Satan will be destroyed. But until that time, 
the battle is still going. See, just like Hitler and the Nazis in the final days of World War II, Satan's lost the war, but he will continue to do as much damage as he can while he can. And so the thing that we need to understand is how does Satan work? We're in a battle with Satan. Well, how does he fight? Verse 11 says that he schemes against the Lord's people. But we can get a fuller picture of this, of his tactics. If we look at elsewhere in the Bible where Satan has operated in the past. If you go back to Genesis 3, how did Satan attack Adam and Eve? Well, he was crafty, wasn't he? He was deceptive. He got them to question God's words. Did God really say? He got them to doubt that God's words were good for them. In the book of Job, we see Satan attack Job physically to try to make him hate God. He takes away Job's possessions, his kids, his his family. He makes Job suffer in every way imaginable in order to get him to break, in order to get him to curse God and die. Or we can look in the Gospels as Jesus himself was tempted in the wilderness by Satan. What did Satan do there? He tried to tempt Jesus. He tried to convince Jesus to sidestep God's plan and to take the shortcut, to take the easy way out. He effectively tries to get Jesus to reject God's ways and do what's good for him. Well, these are just some of the ways that Satan will attack us too. We can see how Satan works in Scripture, but we can see it around us too, can't we? If you think of every Christian brother and sister that you know who has fallen away, people that used to be here in church who now no longer want anything to do with it, people that used to claim to follow Jesus and now obviously don't, what happened? I suspect that many of them were lured away to love something more than they loved God. It didn't seem like a huge first step, but it gradually grew. They started prioritising something else. Soon that thing occupied all their time. Soon the church and following Jesus was irrelevant. Friends, that's how Satan's going to work on you too. He wants you to doubt God. He wants you to think that God's not good. He wants you to think that you know better. And he wants you to think that you can do this life on your own. The bad news is that you can't do this on your own. You can't fight Satan on your own. But the good news is that you don't need to. Because now that we know we're in a battle, it's time we learn how to fight. And as we move on in the passage, Paul goes on to describe the things that we can do in order to stand against the devil's schemes. And the one thing that he really emphasizes, the one thing that he wants you to know, that the only hope we have is to stick to the one who has already won the battle. 
The very first verse, verse 10, Paul tells us, he says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. He doesn't say do it yourself. He doesn't say you're strong enough. He says be strong in the Lord and in his power. In verse 13, he tells us to put on the full armor of God. And in verses 14 to 17, where he describes each symbolic piece of this armor, you'll notice that each of the symbols represent things that God gives to us. Friends, the way for us to stand firm against Satan's attack is not to step out boldly in our own strength, but to stick close to Jesus and protect ourselves with the truth of his word, with his righteousness, with his gospel, with faith in him, with the salvation that he offers, and with his spirit-inspired word. You're not bringing much to the table here, You're just clinging to the one who can protect you. These are the things that will protect us in the spiritual battle. This point becomes even clearer when we see where Paul gets these illustrations from. Because all these pieces of armour, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, all of these things, well, they find their origin in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And when you look at these passages in Isaiah, you'll see that all of these things are things which God himself wears. This is literally God's armour that he gives to us. Now, we're not going to go through all of them, but I'll pick out one in Isaiah 59. Because Isaiah chapter 59, the prophet writes about just how rampant sin has become amongst God's people. Their lives are full of evil They lie, there's so much injustice, there's violence. And God, realising that there is no one among God's people who can lead God's people back to him, he decides that he needs to act for them. He needs to act on their behalf. And so in Isaiah 59 verse 17, we read that God himself puts on righteousness as his breastplate and salvation as his helmet in order to save his people from sin. So when Paul tells us to put on the armour of God, he's telling us to protect ourselves with the very things that God uses to fight sin. So friends, this passage isn't a call for you to heroically fight Satan in your own power. You don't need another hero. Christianity already has a hero and he's done a far better job than you ever will on your own. This passage is teaching us to trust the one who actually has the power to defeat Satan and to protect ourselves by letting him protect us. So if you want to stand firm in the Christian life, Wrap yourself in God's truth. Immerse yourself in his word and trust that it's good. If you want to protect yourself in the Christian life, believe that through Jesus' death and resurrection, your sins are forgiven. You've been declared innocent. You have his righteousness. You're at peace with God. You will be saved.
Friends, that armour is given to us. We just need to accept it and to stick with it. But now as Paul wraps up his letter, well, he gives us one very practical thing that we can all do to fight in this battle. And that's pray. We now know we're in a battle. We know that if we keep trusting in Jesus, we will stand firm in that battle. And so the best way for us to express our trust, our dependence on Jesus, is to ask him for help. And so Paul says in verse 18, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. If we take Paul's warning about our spiritual battle seriously, we will take prayer seriously. Because if the danger that awaits us is real, then we need to maintain constant contact with our commanding officer. And so Paul tells us to pray on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers, at all times, for all of God's people. I hope that gives you a sense of how pervasive prayer should be in our lives. There is never a time or a moment or a situation that doesn't warrant prayer. And yet, for many of us, and myself included, I think we're lucky if we pray on some occasions with some prayers, sometimes, for some people. Now, I get it. Praying is hard. But what we need to see is that not praying... It's just a different way of us saying, I don't need you, God. Not praying is us saying we can do this on our own. But if we've learned anything from this chapter, we can see that we can't do it on our own. If we're really at war with the ruler of this world, if Satan is genuinely focusing his power on destroying your faith, You need God. And so we need to express our dependence on God on all occasions. Morning, afternoon, evening. When you're eating a meal, when you're driving your car, when you're at work. With all kinds of prayers. We praise God. We tell God how amazing he is. We thank him for the things that he's done for us. We ask for his help. We confess our sins to him. We pray all kinds of prayers. We do that always. We do that the day we become a Christian. We do it the day after that. And we'll do it every day until we die. And we pray for all of the Lord's people. Not just for yourself. Not just for your own family. But for Christians that you know and Christians that you don't know. Pray for them because they're in the battle lines next to you. And they need you to pray for them because you need them to pray for you too. Friends, this morning I hope you can see whether your life as a Christian seems easy or whether it seems like a car crash followed by a train wreck. We are all in a battle. 
We've all sided ourselves with Satan's enemy. And that is going to put us in the path of danger. That is going to raise opposition against us. It's a spiritual battle, but it's a real battle. It's something that still exists today. Satan's power is still real, and so we need to be prepared to face it. The worst thing that we can do is pretend it's not there. And so, friends, stand firm in the power that God himself gives you. Put on his protective armour, and above all, pray to him. Pray that he would help you to stand firm, and pray for your brothers and sisters next to you. And so why don't we finish by doing just that? How about we pray together? Our Lord God, we're confronted with uh, this news that we're in a battle. It seems hard for us to believe and sometimes it feels like we're not in any real danger. Lord, help us to heed the warning. Help us know the danger. But at the same time, help us know that you have conquered Satan. And that you are more than capable of protecting us and keeping us standing firm until the end. Lord, give us great trust in you. Help us cling to you. Help us run to you in times of danger. Lord, I pray that you would help us trust in your protective provisions. Help us trust in your truth. Make us thankful for your righteousness. May we stand firm in you until the very end. Lord, would you also help us to pray? We know we're dependent on you. We know we need you to protect us in this battle. And yet we somehow find it so hard to pray to you. So Lord, give us the strength to pray. Give us the will to do it. At all times, on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers for all of your people. Lord, help us support each other in prayer as we express our very real dependence on you to protect us in this battle. Lord, we take great confidence in knowing that your love and your care and your protection will go with us for every day that you give us. Lord, help us to cling to you every day. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.